Welcome to Rutgers ScoutCast episode 72. I am your host, Sam Hellman, and this is my favorite episode of the year. So it's become an annual tradition, and I say annual tradition because it's the second year of the podcast and the second time I'm doing it. But what I like to do right before the season starts is I like to go in-depth and break down a depth chart. So that's what Brian Doan and I do in the body of this show. I've been at every practice that I'm allowed to go to. Plus, I might have seen some stuff I wasn't allowed to. I don't know. We'll see. On top of that, Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan gets to know all of these players from the time they're sophomores in high school until now. Between the two of us, I think we have a pretty good grasp of what a depth chart looks like, and we're going to break it down in the body of the show. Now, last year, people weren't too pleased with our breakdown, but I think at the end, you kind of saw what we were getting at with Rutgers finishing 2-10 and 10 on the season. This year, we're going to be a little bit more positive, but it is not all positive, and I'm sure plenty of people are going to disagree with us. So when you do, make sure to tweet at me, at Sam Hellman Scout, or post on the Scarlet Report premium forums, and we can follow up and discuss this depth chart the next week or two. Now, some of you are probably thinking, depth chart? What depth chart? No, Rutgers hasn't put out a depth chart, but hey, at least Rutgers has a roster online. The depth chart in full, my projected depth chart, which is probably more honest than the actual depth chart that you would see for a game day, the whole thing can be found on Scarlet Report. I update it about once a week, and that's what Brian and I are going to be discussing in the body of the show. But before we get to any of that, before we get to any of that, great guest this week. My guest this week Now, I say this with no disrespect, but I doubt most of you have ever heard of him. His name is Drew Lieberman. He's an assistant coach at Wesleyan University, wide receivers coach there. He was a graduate assistant for two years under Kyle Flood, the 2014 and 2015 seasons. He also spent about three months working with Chris Ash before he moved on to that full-time position coaching gig. Now, why am I having Drew Lieberman on the show? First off, he's a Rutgers guy. He coached at Rutgers for two years. I I love talking to ex-Rutgers coaches, and graduate assistants are guys that work just as hard as everyone else for none of the money and the same hours and none of the thanks. And again, this is a guy that was at Rutgers for two years, and I'm guessing most of you had never heard of him because that's not, you know, graduate assistants are not meant to be seen. They're just there to do work and grind and hopefully survive for two years and get promoted. So I'm having Drew on the podcast, and you're going to hear from him in just a couple of minutes. I'm having him on the podcast because he just started his own podcast. It is called the Sideline Hustle Podcast. We tagged them in the tweet. So if you want to look up my Twitter, you can find it, the at Sideline Hustle on Twitter. We have links to their show in the story. So however you're listening, it should be easy for you to find the show, and I highly recommend it for a couple reasons. First off, it's a quick listen. The first two episodes combined, I think, are about 35 minutes. So it's not like you're making the hour commitment or the long download every time a new episode drops. But here's why I like it. The two hosts of the show are Drew Lieberman and Gary Nova. And they have a ton of Rutgers guests on. So they pick a theme every week and they talk about what that theme is like behind the scenes. So, for example, episode two, which I highly recommend, they talk about what a prospect camp is like for coaches. So those camps that you see us cover every June that Rutgers holds, backstage looks, some fun stories. They've had guys like Ralph Regan on already, uh, Leo Farine, who's now the Boston College recruiting coordinator. Lots of good stuff, and from a lot of Rutgers people, I like the show, but I don't know why I'm telling you about it. Why don't you hear 
about it more from Coach Drew Lieberman. All right, welcome back to the Rutgers Scout Cast. Our guest this week is an exciting one. It is Drew Lieberman. He is a college football coach that spent a couple years at Rutgers. Drew, what's going on? How you doing, Sam? Thanks for having me, man. Hey, it's fun because I'm talking to another podcaster. A lot of these interviews, a lot of these coaches I talk to, they've never heard of a podcast before. So it's good to talk <laughs> no to doubt. someone that actually knows what they're doing. Yeah, it seems that podcasts are, are on the rise nowadays, even though they're, they're kind of an old thing, but they've really been picking up recently. We've all got one, and we've all got one to plug. We're going to get to your Sideline Hustle podcast, but first, for people that don't know, you spent two years as a graduate assistant at Rutgers. You're now a wide receivers coach at Wesleyan College. What? Tell people, I guess, about your career and your experience at Rutgers. Yep. So I uh, I started. Um, I went to I went to Wesleyan University where I'm working now. I played quarterback there. Uh, played there for two years and I blew up my shoulder. And then when I was a, a junior in college, they actually named me the quarterbacks coach. So I was able. I actually ran the position drills and the meetings and everything for two years as an undergrad. Um, and then after doing that for two years, I um, graduated in 2013 from Wesleyan. I worked at Albany for a year under legendary coach Bob Ford. It was his last year before he retired. Um, he had actually recruited Coach Flood in college um, when he was at Hofstra, or sorry, no, when he was at Albany. Um, and coach Flood ended up going there, and then, and then, uh, so that kind of connection, he got me in the door with Coach Flood, and uh, Coach Flood hired me in 2014, and I worked there 2014, 2015 as the quarterbacks, wide receivers, GA, um, and then just recently, in 2016, came back to Wesleyan to coach the wide receivers. So I, I would say I tell people this all the time that. The two most underappreciated jobs in a football program, one is recruiting coordinator and two is graduate assistant because you're working the same hours as every coach on that staff. But on top of that, you're barely getting paid and in some places you got to go to class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and for us too, like it was like we had a good group of GAs, so I think the coaches really relied on us and we we did some extra work and asked for extra work and it was a grind man like you're there before the coaches show up and, and you're staying there well after they leave and they give you something and, and it better be done perfectly the next day and you know the expectations are high and it's 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 a lot of work but it's definitely an awesome unbelievable learning experience a lot of people and myself included are were critical of coach flood for a lot of reasons but something that i think he did very well was was delegating people with different responsibilities to where if you're a GA, you're not you're not wasting your time. Like you had real jobs at Rutgers. Like what what yeah, kind of sure. what kind of roles or what things should we be giving you credit for? Uh, I think the big thing. I mean, on game day we had big roles. Like like on game day, I was up in the booth and I was in charge of identifying. So Coach McDaniel's um, when he was I was the GA. 2015 when he was there he was on the field calling the plays and I would be in the booth identifying the front coverage and pressure for every play so I had to have a great understanding of the defense of what the indicators were for each call so you know if the outside linebacker lined up slightly outside leverage when they were gonna blitz someone inside and I had to know all those things and have those studied and kind of be able to call them out beforehand have a good idea of what our game plan was what we wanted to do against the different looks and be able to rattle them off you know at, at a moment's notice so we might finish a drive and, and Ben might say hey uh, you know that second third down we had like what was the coverage like what, what was it you know how did they get into it and I just had to know everything and I had to give him indicators that would help him call the game better and I was really his his eyes and ears up there along at the time I was up there with, with coach Anthony Campanelli and, and another GA Rocco D'Amico but 
between the three of us, I was the guy communicating with him directly, and between the three of us, like we really were the eyes and ears for the guy calling the play. So I, I would say that's definitely probably the, the most prominent responsibility that has, has the biggest impact. Um, and then I think what people don't know is all the breakdowns you do to prepare for the game. So I'll, I'll watch all four games. Like we'll, we'll scout four games for each opponent, and I'll spend you know a whole week watching all those games, putting down all the information from the front, the coverage, any little alignment notes, and making sure that's perfect because that's ultimately that data from, from the games we break down is what we use to create the game plan. So if I do a bad job in putting the data, we're going to have a bad game plan. So I would say the data input and then the game day responsibilities, those those are two critical things um, to a, a Division One football program that GAs are in charge of. Um, and then lastly, obviously, the scout team too. So every every week like we have we have the – kind of low, the third string defensive players, they come over and, and it's my job along with the other GA to coach them and, and coach them in a way that replicates that opponent's look. And, and we go against them every day in practice. It's our job to get them motivated, our job to make sure that they're doing things the way the opponent does it. And again, same thing. If we don't do a good job coaching those guys up, we're going to be practicing against either a half-speed look or, or a look that's not the way it's going to look on game day. And, and that's going to hurt us as well. So th- those are really the, the three biggest things. And that doesn't even include recruiting where you're working the summer camps, you're talking to kids on visits. you got to do yep. all the recruiting stuff except go on the road uh, yep. on top of all your football responsibilities. Yep. And a lot of that, too, like we'd be in charge of, of some cases, like running another coach's Twitter or just keeping in touch with guys through Twitter or, or doing it ourselves on our, on our own social media there's definitely a lot of that. We're kind of just the gophers when it comes to recruiting, doing all the little things that, that anyone might need need to be done on a daily basis. You mean Coach Friedgen didn't run his own Twitter? <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> Funny story, actually. He's on the podcast with me, and we currently like he he didn't run his own he didn't run the Twitter, and he didn't know the password for it. So we currently can't log on to his Twitter to help promote the sideline hustle because we can't find the password anywhere. That doesn't surprise me at all, but. <laughs> So one more question about Rutgers, and then I want to jump onto your podcast because I think it's really cool. You you spent a little bit of time with Coach Chris Ash as he was building his staff. That was before you moved on to your next school. What do you think about what Coach Ash is trying to do at Rutgers? I think he's done a great job so far. Uh, I was able to work with him for like three or four months, kind of in the beginning of the transition, and it was cool to see the values he brought with him from Ohio State and the way he immediately instilled a different culture immediately I think demanded just just a little bit more from all the players and and you know he, he also came in and was able to I think get gather a lot more resources and was just able to do a lot for the players to prove that he was going to give back to them but also demand a lot more from them and I think he's definitely kind of risen the level of the way they train and they prepare like I would say the strength coach Kenny Parker is as good as anyone I've ever been around and that that's kind of where I think I learned the most in my three or four months with them is, is that guy, Kenny Parker, like he does a great job and, and they were really training differently and, and really, really busting their butt. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think coach Ash has a great vision for things and he, he seems like he's had, got a head in the right direction. They just got to start winning some games so they can keep the recruiting up. So if you're, if you're a college football fan or if you're a Rutgers fan, there's both good reasons to check out the sideline hustle podcast because well, obviously we'll have links and explanation of how to find it, but, so your show, it gives people an inside look. You talked about being a GA, but there's all that kind of stuff of how college football works from a coaching perspective. But not only that, most of your guests are or were Rutgers guys on top of it. Correct, yeah. yeah. Everyone that's on it right now, to be honest, is actually that 2014 season, Coach Friedgen's uh, year as offensive coordinator, everyone involved in the podcast right now was a part of that team. 
Um, so uh, Leo Farine was a recruiting coordinator at Boston College. He was a recruiting assistant. Mike Teal was a graduate assistant. Obviously, he's the head coach at Don Bosco now. Uh, coach Friedrich was the offensive coordinator. And then my co-host, Gary Nova, was a starting quarterback. And Leonte Carew, who's his childhood best friend and someone who I coached for two years, he's uh, he was the starting receiver. So between the six of us, we were all kind of part of that that particular year and then we've all had other experiences outside of, of Rutgers so we're able to bring that in-depth perspective you know Mike's coach in high school and at the D3 level I've coached the D3 level the D1 level we've got Ralph's coaching the NFL Leontes played in the NFL you know Gary tried out for the NFL and then was a starting quarterback for four years like just a ton of experiences from all of us combined and it really gives a well-rounded perspective into how the business works had Ralph ever heard of a podcast when he joined the show Absolutely not. He, he absolutely not. He well, he he does listen to some of them, but he was he. I, I give him credit because the last time we were working together, I was his GA, where he was just telling me everything to do, and he's put a lot of faith in me and my vision for this whole thing. Because you know, he's obviously the most established of all of us, has the most quote unquote to lose because of his established reputation, and and he put a lot of faith in me to kind of just figure out the way everything works, figure out the whole podcast world, and it definitely wasn't something he was overly familiar with. So I, I heard about the show. Mike Teal is the one that first told me about it because um, I talk to him all the time about Don Bosco stuff. But when I downloaded the first episode, I, the reason that I was sold within the first two minutes is there's an interaction between you and Gary Nova. And I think this is in the open to all of your shows. You say to Gary Nova, you try and compliment him, say something like, you were always good at getting rid of the football. <laughs> And Gary Nova's response is so self-deprecating. It's so good. And it's the honest Gary Nova. Yeah, it is. And it's been the cool thing about really all, like, I think the biggest thing for me when I was working um, at Rutgers was I had this vision and this perception that, all right, I'm going to go to Rutgers. It's going to be, you know, it's big-time football. We're in the Big Ten. It's going to be this well-oiled machine. All these players are going to be, you know, like they're superstars in my mind in a way because they're playing at ESPN. They're going to the NFL even though they're 21 years old, you know, 20, 21 years old. And when I got there, it was just – it was very different. Like everyone's just a regular guy. Like the players are regular guys just trying to do their best and do do their job. You know, the coaches are, are all hilarious. And, and, you know, it's a bunch of football guys running this million-dollar corporation. It wasn't nearly as polished as I thought it would be. And, and, you know, everyone was just very relatable and very similar to me. And me coming from a Division three background, um, I just expected something different. But that's the biggest thing we kind of try and show in, in the podcast is that we're all just regular guys. Like, Gary's out there trying to do his best. Like, he knows he threw some interceptions at times, but he also, you know, has the school record in touchdown passes. So, you know, it kind of just comes with the territory. No, I think that for me, because uh, I'm a reporter, the first thing I thought when I heard about this podcast is, oh, my God, are they going to do an episode about Kyle Flood getting fired? Uh, there's a lot of negative things that happened in the two years you were there, and I'm sure you're going to touch on that stuff on the show, but I think it's cool that you're starting off with more positive stories because Rutgers has had a lot of good things happen, and Kyle Flood achieved things as the Rutgers head coach. I really enjoyed your camp episode because Rutgers is one of the more professionally run college camps that I've ever seen. Yeah, no, I I agree with that, and I appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's definitely like we, we weren't, when we started it, we're not really interested in, obviously it's interesting to talk about how he got fired and why, but we're not really interested in, in spilling dirt as much as we're interested in just educating people into how things actually work. Um, and I think if, if that happens where we got to talk about, you know, some touchy subjects, like we're more than happy to because we're going to be honest about everything. But, 
you know, we don't want to air out anyone's dirty laundry. We just really want to share our perspectives, share our experiences, and it'll bring light to how things actually work because I think it's, it is the, the real inner workings of things I think are a mystery to a lot of people that haven't really been through it themselves. Well, as you are listening to this episode 73 of the Rutgers Scoutcast, the third episode of the Sideline Hustle is available everywhere. We've got links of how to find it. Uh, Drew, I, I close out these interviews. I ask everyone the same three questions about Rutgers, and since you spent two years there, I'm hoping for some good answers here. Uh, my first question to you is, that who is your favorite Rutgers football player of all time? I'll go... I'll go, I'll go with Mike Teal because that guy's been like an older brother to me. And if it wasn't for him, I would have been fired at least six times in my first year at Rutgers. He was, he really kind of held me down and, and made sure I was, I was doing things a little bit better. So I'll go with Mike because I'm not sure I'd be sitting here right now if it wasn't for him. So in in a PG or PG thirteen way, what's one way? Uh, what's an example of uh, how Mike Teal helped you save uh, your job? I, so when I first got there, I was this confident kid, energetic kid. And I, I wanted to help, and I had a lot of big ideas. So I would always just I, – I, I wasn't good at what everyone said there, just stay in your lane. Like show up, stay your lane, do your job, speak when spoken to. Because, you know, I, I'm the 23-year-old with no experience. Like no, oh, there's guys in here that have 40, 50 years of coaching experience. No one wants to hear what I have to say. But I had trouble with that, and someone would tell me to do something, and – I might talk back or I might do an assignment wrong and I'd say, well, well, this is why it was wrong or you told me to do this rather than just shutting up and, and doing what I was told. And Mike would pull me into to the office at times after those meetings when I was running my mouth a little too much and he'd just be like, would you shut the heck up? Like, you're going to get yourself fired. I don't know what's wrong with you. And it probably took him about 15 times before it ever even sunk into me. And I started to realize I'd be better served just by working hard and, and letting my work do the talk for me. Question number two, when you think about your time that you spent at Rutgers, what is your favorite memory? I'd say beating Michigan. Uh, we beat Michigan that first year and the fans stormed the field. That was that was something I'll never forget. Um, you know, that, that was incredible. That was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But really, other than that, it's the people, man. Like, we had an incredible coaching staff in terms of just, just human beings. Like, I thought the guys in that staff, most of them were great guys. I, they, a lot of them changed my life. I, I keep in touch with most of them to this day. Um, so, like, that specific memory would be Michigan, but overall, it's it's the people I was able to work with. That's it. All right, and wrapping up the show here, if you get to have one more meal at Rutgers, say you come back to Rutgers for the weekend, uh, where are you going and what's your order? Ooh, great call. Uh, oh, great question. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say probably stuff your face. No, sorry. You know what? I'm gonna take that back. I'm gonna go to Brother Jimmy's and get the nachos. Brother Jimmy's was one of my favorite spots, and I'll be I'll stay loyal to them. Brother Jimmy, I would see. I'm. I think Old Man Rafferty's has the best nachos on campus, but Brother Jimmy's is a close second. Man, they do it right. Yeah, they do a great job over there, and, and I enjoyed hanging out there a lot. And you know, there's some good people who work there as well. So I'll, I'll go with Brother Jimmy's. All right, Coach Drew Lieberman was our guest this week. Make sure you check out the Sideline Hustle every Friday on iTunes. No doubt. Thanks very much for having me, Sam. Brian, one of our most popular segments, maybe infamous, is the word for it. popular. Last year, last year Rutgers put out a depth chart in training camp. It's this funny thing that most college football programs do. And Michigan does it, right? <laughs> so we got a ton of negative feedback, but it was also our most listened to episode. Interesting how the negati- negativity gets hits, you know. I no never would have thought that. But everyone was up in arms last year when we broke down the depth chart after it was released. I remember we recorded over at Middlesex County College. 
the depth chart was a very obvious indication of how things were going to go that year, but the our pessimism was not greeted well. So guess what? We're bringing it back. What'd they go last year? Um, NJ.com said eight and four preseason. I remember that. What did they go last year? Well, Rutgers hopes to win more than two games this season. So they went two and ten and had a lot of trouble. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just wanted this, to make sure. I'll tell you what. This year, I expect Rutgers to win more than two games. You're going to have to tune in next week. Video-wise, we'll have our official season preview before Washington and that kickoff. So before Washington and that kickoff, we're going to do our season preview predictions, all that stuff, and our members over at Scarlet Report are going to get the analysis. But We'll also break down Costa Rica-U.S. World Cup qualifier on September 1st. What? What did you say? Did you say McGregor, Conor McGregor we're talking about? U.S. World Cup qualifier against Costa Rica, September 1st, Red Bull Arena. I know. I can't believe John Jones failed another steroids test. Anyway, so Rutgers did not release a depth chart yet. I'm guessing that that will happen Sunday with their you know official start to the season press conference kind of thing. But since Rutgers didn't do a depth chart this spring, guess what? We have a more accurate one for you anyway because depth charts aren't honest. Our depth chart, I think, is pretty honest of what to expect. We're going to talk about it here, but if you want a full list of that depth chart, I've been projecting it every couple of days over on the site, and we're talking about the most recent projections. I guess, Brian, I guess we got to start with quarterback, huh? I guess. I mean, there's no surprise there for me. There's there's no surprises, but the depth chart... I, I disagree with your wording on it, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, well, it's pretty much word for word what Chris Ash said when he named Kyle Bolin the starter is, yeah, we'll see how the backup goes. It might depend on the situation. I think Jonathan Lewis will wind up being the backup. I do too. Because you don't want to go into 2018 with a quarterback with no experience. Correct. And so, that's the assumption is that Jonathan Lewis is the guy next year. We'll see how, we'll see how grad transfer market 2019 goes and, and everything with recruiting, who knows, maybe some weird stuff happens. I mean, weird stuff happens at quarterback for Rutgers often. Really? Yeah. So so what? We're my projections for the Washington game week, obviously Kyle Bolin is starting. I think that if you're talking about needing a quarterback to come in for a long time, Geo's the backup because he's done it before. If you're talking about getting a guy a series, keeping things fresh, that's obviously Jonathan Lewis. I agree. Uh, it a lot will be dictated on what goes on in the game. Not only you know, injury changes everything, but if you're trying to get somebody a series and get them experienced, then you go with Jonathan Lewis at that point. Don't forget, Bowen's a kid that needs to play a lot too. Even though he won the job and he was clearly the winner, it's not like he has all this wealth of experience that, you know, especially running this offense and knowing the personnel, he, he has to learn all that stuff. So I think you look for for that but uh to me pretty clear cut what they're gonna do we've talked out quarterback non-stop so i frankly i'm done talking about it you know what we think this will about be the season. last time we talk about it this season though here's the question what do people complain about first the starting quarterback or the offensive coordinator uh is josh hicks an option for that answer um <laughs> there's gonna be someone that does whether it's whether it's Josh Hicks at running back or Juwan Harris at wide receiver or something like that, there's going to be a guy that has made plays in the past and will not be playing a lot. 
this year and people are not going to be happy about that but that, that's how that's what happens when you have a coaching change and there's accountability in the program and you have in some instances kids that are just more talented yeah and well so let's talk about just because back. you I've said this for a long time just because you're the starter or just because you get a lot of reps doesn't mean you're good all it means is you're the best they have so at running back I would argue the best they have right now is Gus Edwards now, the way I projected depth chart, it's a hot hand semi-rotation position, but Gus Edwards is the guy that is getting the most work right now because, one, he stayed healthy through training camp, whereas Robert Martin was not healthy for at least half of camp and all of spring and a lot of last season. There's three or four other guys that are in that mix, but Edwards-Martin is how I see it playing out early on. And again, I say that's an improvement from what Rutgers had last year, which was you had Justin Goodwin play a lot because he one he knew what the plays were, and two he was a great hard worker off the field in the weight room compared to some of the other guys. And three he should have been playing quarterback, cornerback, but didn't want to, so he had to play running back. Correct. So I think that this is an improvement not just because of Gus Edwards coming in, but you have Raheem Blackshear off the bench. You have you have Trey Snead. We'll see what he's able to do, and then obviously Robert Martin is a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten running back when he's on form. I think it's a good group. Yeah, I, I think that sums it up well. Gus Edwards, can he handle it? Can he handle 15, 20 carries? The physicalness of it, I think he's a kid that would get better as it went on. Even in high school, he was a physical runner. I always thought that he would have been an outstanding linebacker just based on his size and strength and everything. Uh, he wanted to play offense. And then, you know, the, the one thing is Raheem Blackshear, who... For, for lack of a better way to put it, is kind of what you want in like a scat back, the old scat back days, and a, a kid that can do a couple different things, but he's a true freshman, and to make make it out like he's going to go out there and be unbelievable as a true freshman, it rarely happens. I mean, look at kids, remember back to the day when Rutgers used to get kids drafted, and there were players that, you know, still struggled as freshmen, it's just the way it is. But you want to get him, you know, five touches a game or so in different spots. And Gus Edwards, and then whoever decides they want to practice hard that week and knows the game plan and is accountable, we'll also get some reps. So I guess we'll talk about the changes next in the scheme, and that is more of an involvement at tight end and the reintroduction of the fullback position. Well, I'm curious to see how much we see out of it because it's great to introduce those positions, but you have to have players at those positions. Right, and Rutgers really, frankly, Rutgers doesn't have any players at that position of fullback right now because, yeah, Max Anthony's an older guy that knows the job. Jerry Kill said good things about him, but if he's that good, he would have been playing linebacker last year. He would have been playing somewhere last year. You'd make room for him. Right, and we're talking about a preferred walk-on that, has had trouble staying healthy, and I have a hard time seeing... I'm Fullback's going to exist in this offense. I just don't think it's going to exist more than six or seven reps a game. I, I like Max Anthony at the position if he can stay healthy, but if not, we're talking about... We're talking about Jim Brady, who Rutgers didn't even have on the 105 to start training camp, and we're talking about Solomon Manning. So... I don't see Solomon Manning on your depth chart. He's not on my depth chart, but as a guy that just moved to the position, we'll see how it goes. 
But I've had my eye on Jim Brady ever since Carol and Mike that one year where Greg had to stop playing football. I know, and then Marsha, uh, Marsha saw Jan get get the football right in the nose, and no, Marsha's one who got hit in the nose. It was Mar. You're right. Okay, I know I'm right. See, I only really know the movie. I'm, I I've watched the show, but I'm more of a fan of the movie. That is such an indictment on you in so many ways. Gary, I, I Gary hope, Cole. Wait, we're gonna find out how many people listen to this part. You better hammer Sam for that last comment about knowing the movie better than the show. If you think that. If you think that Robert Reed is a better Mr. Brady than Gary Cole, then, well, then you're old. You, you don't, don't get, get it. it. You don't you, get it. I, I get it. That's you think been... Bill Lumberg playing Mr. Brady? All right, we're done. Tight end. Right now, it's Jerome Washington's position to lose. Vince O'Crew has said so. He called him the number one guy. That's who it is. And honestly, all three or four of those guys, depending on who's healthy, are going to play depending on the package. Miles Nash has shown some ability as a run blocker. Travis Volkolek, they're high on, but can he stay healthy? Is he ready to be to go from Kickapoo High School to Big Ten football? And then uh, the other tight end. The, the, the health of tight ends from the Midwest with Rutgers, not looking good the past few years. Yeah, I mean, George Bear had trouble finding room to play ever at that position, but now that he's a player coach or whatever you want to call it as a medical retirement guy I'm, I'm sure he has some he's still advice there. yeah he's he's working he's learning how to be a coach he and Troy Anthony are the student coaches I hope this he year. spends a lot of time in the film room so tight end I mean it look it's Jerome Washington's position to lose he's going to be the feature guy <laughs> I was say, position to lose. anyway he's losing this because he hurt right and even if he gets hurt he still might play uh, <laughs> I like Jerome Washington a lot just, I just hop out of that break I always have the questions of, well, if he's that good, why did Miami let him leave? And, you know, I will say that about every transfer in the history of time, but even if he wasn't that good, he's still better than what Rutgers had, which was right. a converted defensive end and Nikia Griffin. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And from what I've seen out of Washington, he's athletic. He can catch the ball, gets it, tucks it, gets up the field. Can he find the holes? Can, you know, what happens with all the traffic in the middle, but look, we, we've said this six zillion times, or at least I have. This is a slow burn. This is not something that turns around quick. So you got to look at small things. And there, you know, we went through the quarterback position, the running back position, well, you know, fullback, whatever, tight end. In each case, they're better. The starters are better than what they had. But you go back to why does it take so long to build football depth? Because you can't do it in one class or two classes and three classes. So when you get an injury, it can be catastrophic. And that's where they're at. But in each of these positions we're talking about, they've gotten better. You're right. That That's my biggest positive compared to last year's depth chart is they're actually an injury away. Whereas the injuries, last year, one injury and it's over. This year, you might be able to withstand one or two at some of these position groups. But, look, every position we've talked about so far, and we're moving on to the wide receivers, it's the same thing. They brought in new guys to play right away. And whether that's Damon Mitchell as a grad transfer or the three or four freshmen that we have projected on the two deep, they just brought in better players. But, you know what, that's really not saying that much based on receiver production last year. Overhaul. Roster overhaul. I mean, how, how many times can you say it? You look at it, and I remember going to watch – Bo Melton play last year and thinking to myself and telling you and 
probably a lot of other people, that he would play at Rutgers now, and he was a high school senior, going into his senior year. And I, I just look at it from that standpoint on what they have, you know, Damon Mitchell would be better, Everett Wormley. I, a tough I, kid. Yeah, he very tough kid. He got better as a route runner. I never thought physically, you know, he had that burst coming out of breaks really well. But that you're going to play so many kids this early tells you, I mean, look at what the receivers were like last year. You had a better chance of getting open in some of them. And somehow Carl Nagadosi is going to make the Cardinals. Different game. Yep, completely different. Different game. I hope people understand that. I mean, yeah, you're... It's so different, and the other thing about it is you can't teach his size, and and I'm not saying Carlton did anything wrong, but when you're talking about pros, all that matters is what you do on the football field. It doesn't matter about, you know, if you don't study film, but you perform in practice, you play. Um, it, it doesn't matter except what you do on the field, and so it's different. So at wide receiver, look, I think I think Wormley's a little more polished than your average true freshman from a group one school because he did so much of that seven on seven competition. And and no, that's not real football, but he has experience from that. I, I think that Bo, like Bo Melton, I mean, he's a lock to play. He's going to start, no question. The interesting one right now for me is Hunter Hayek because. It shows you how quickly things can change or an opinion can change on a kid because pre-Jerry Kill, Hunter Hayek was a preferred walk-on candidate. When Jerry Kill came in, it was, well, maybe we can still get him to walk on. Do do we want him to gray shirt or are we going to try and do that route? Are, are we going to just keep him warm to keep his brother happy? Well, now Hunter Hayek is a guy that everyone at Rutgers is very high on. His teammates are calling him the next generian Grant is a stretch. His coaches are putting him over Does that big. mean he won't be used as a receiver much? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know how much he'll be used as a receiver because if if other guys are healthy, you're not going to see a ton of Hunter Hike in the slot, but he's a special teams return man that they're looking at on punts. You don't want Janarian Grant there every play. because yes, you, you don't, do. Well, he's going to get hurt eventually. It, Hunter Hike's the most interesting one to me because he's gone from a guy that was not necessarily scholarship worthy to now probably number two in the freshman power rankings behind Bo Melton. Wow, is that the receiver freshman power yes, rankings correct. overall? The wide receiver power rankings. Because I was going to say, that'd be impressive considering where Jonathan Lewis is. Uh, I think that the more he plays, the more dire the situation is of the Rutgers receivers. And that's not it sounds like a knock on him, and it's not. It's just a, it was like Everett Wormley. They just need time to develop. And when you play him now, you're mortgaging something from the future. You, you go back and you look at Leonte Carew and why it made sense to play him as a true freshman the way they did kind of on you know punt block and stuff like that. And the reason it made sense was because there was a feeling that he would only be at the program for three or four years. So if you redshirted him, you still weren't getting that fifth year. And that's important. And when you look at a guy like Hayek or Everett Wormley, and you project out, and anything could change, but when you project out, you think that those are four to five-year kids in the program. And so the more you can 
build their strength and develop them now, the more it helps you on the back end. That's why, to me, it would be better if they could redshirt. So I think that the feedback from the fan base, based on our depth chart projections, projections and how training camp has played out so far, the main reaction at receiver is, well, where's Juwan Harris? Why aren't we hearing about him? He was our leading receiver last year. Well, Juwan Harris was playing baseball. Everyone else was practicing full go, getting advantages, gaining time, and Harris knew that when he decided to play baseball. So he's got a lot more catching up to do than some of these other guys. And just because you led the team in catches last year doesn't mean that you're going to instantly get that opportunity again when you bring in Damon Mitchell, Amir Mitchell, and five true freshman receivers. Yeah, and that's why when you look at it of kids playing two sports, it's hard, man, because A, you're there to play football. Even if you're playing basketball, you're there to play football. Yeah, you're on scholarship to play football. So they are going to make it tough on you. And you can sit here, and I've done it with other schools, and I've listened. Yeah, we love our kids to play two sports. It's, if it works, it's great. Yeah, but the problem is if you're not playing just one sport, it means your focus and your energy is somewhere else instead of getting better. And that's a tough... You better be a really gifted special athlete to be able to overcome that. Now, if he were to come into practice and kill it and get open and catch everything... Right, he'd right. Up, he'd move up quick, but there's no way that he's going to move up unless he really outshines people. There's only so many Julius Peppers and Jeff Samarja of the world that can actually pull that kind of thing off. And while Harris is a guy that's played well at receiver and I I mean he's probably going to be a top 10 15 round draft pick next year in baseball we're still talking about a kid that picked Rutgers over F8 so offensive line wise I mean we can run through it real quick because it's pretty much the same offensive line that we saw last season so while people see returning starters I'm very I have a lot of doubts about this offensive line because well, it's not like Rutgers was running all over the place or giving Chris Laviano a lot of protection last year. It's good to get these guys developed, but outside of a very solid Dorian Miller, fifth-year senior, I still want more proof that these guys can get it done. Tariq Cole has a lot of excitement around him, but how consistent is he going to be? Kamal Seymour, we're still talking a guy that, about a guy that's been an offensive lineman for less than a year at this point. And he's being pushed by Micah Clark, which isn't necessarily a good sign when you have the true I think freshman. it's actually a great sign. Well, you have the true freshman that's been hurt and has already missed half a camp with a concussion, and he's already on the two deep. It, it tells me that... It tells me my ranking on him was right. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. But you're the, again, you're the rankings guy. I'm the Rutgers guy. And from a Rutgers perspective, it tells me that Kamal Seymour and Zach Heeman and Manny Taylor and anyone else that's been playing tackle are not inspiring a lot of confidence because you have a guy that's been healthy for about 10 days now and he's the backup right tackle. He is so much more talented and athletic than any kid on that offensive line that he would be able to survive um, just based on his athleticism and you want to get him experience and I'm sure fans will love to hear this. The idea is to be good in 2018. Your schedule is a little softer. You'll have more depth in the program. Um, the young kids will have some experience. I've always thought that, 
that's why you need to get Jonathan Lewis experience. That's why you need to get Micah Clark experience. I don't have any issues with him pushing Kamal Seymour. Uh, it's you want the best player, and if he's going to be better, then good. Then that works, and then Kamal Seymour has to work harder and get better. I, I don't really, I don't really worry about that stuff. I think it's good that he's performing well. He's a high-ranked Jersey kid, which. You know, it looks good in recruiting if you tell other Jersey kids. I guess you should probably tell their coaches, not so much the kids, but, but tell them, hey, look, this kid came in, he was highly regarded, and look how quick he's developed. There's a lot of things that go with it. On the offensive line, I think having receivers that hopefully can get off the line of scrimmage for Rutgers would help, and having a, a big physical running back like Gus Edwards should help. Having a more capable quarterback and Kyle Boland should help the offensive line. I mean, look, the offensive line wasn't good last year. We know that. But, yeah, neither was anyone else. But when you when the option of a quick inside slant does not exist because your receivers can't get off the line of scrimmage. And your quarterback can't throw it accurately. Or make the right read. Even if you tell him to throw one way and he goes another way and throws a pick. The offensive line got better just because Rutgers got better at the skill positions, and it helps them. There's, you know, look, there's, if, if Bowen can hit Bo Melton on a quick slant over the middle, you don't really have to protect for that play. It's stuff like that. Defensively, the biggest change that we're seeing this year is on the defensive line where Rutgers doesn't have a lot of defensive ends that are making an impact, so they're just not using defensive ends. We've seen primarily a three defensive tackle look with Kamoko Ture, or Elam Lou Moore standing up as kind of a pass rusher, defensive end, but you have that three-person front, which right now is Badaki, Wilkins, Joseph, and then Ture if he's healthy, or Lou Moore if he's not, or we've started to see C.J. Onyechi since the Solomon Manning move. You know, I, I don't see a lot of sacks coming this year, especially once we get into some of the stronger offensive lines on the schedule. But I like that Rutgers is saying, well, look, the traditional 4-3 wasn't working, so let's just play the best lineman we got and see and, and try and coach around some of the deficiencies. Well, I think when you look at if the hardest part to recruit is a defensive end who can get up the field and pressure the quarterback. That across the country is, I mean, you need it. A lot of the other stuff can be, can you blitz? I mean, I look at the linebackers, and I don't think Rutgers is a good blitzing team from the linebacker spot. Nope. So that puts more pressure on the secondary and puts more pressure on the D-line because if you can't blitz, you might as well play coverage and play back. And, and, when I, and in the run game, you know, if you're going to the wrong gap in a run blitz, you're dead. You know, just stuff like that. And I look at it, and I think they have some solid players on defense. I think if you look in the middle with – with Badaki, Sebastian Joseph, even Julius Turner. He's I, had a good game. Yeah, yeah. I think you look at them and you say, okay, from the middle, we got some guys that can help us. And then you look on the edge, Kevin Wilkins. I've always liked Kevin Wilkins. I, I, I'm waiting for him to put it together. Uh, maybe he does. I don't know. Jimmy Hogan, you know. He's, yeah, he's there. Yeah, I mean, Willington Prevalon, you know, at what point a guy's going to step up? And then you look at the other side with Kamoko, Ture, and Lamore. You know, with Ture, I don't know, man. 
mean, you know, people I, I re- don't like hearing it, but I'm going to keep saying it. Let's let him start a game before we before we make him the next J- J- Jamal Westerman. I mean, if you, I'm not going to get into it, other than to say, just show me where there's been major production from him that tells you, yeah, we should be able to count on him. More injuries, more whatever. It's just. To expect him to have a big impact, I think, is wishful thinking because he never has. He never has. And don't sit here and tell me about the one double A sacks he had in eastern Michigan and western Wisconsin or whoever. I don't really care. You haven't done anything for how many years now? Um, but I, I think finding a way to get pressure on the quarterback is really, you know, that, that's where Jay Neiman and Chris Ash really have to earn their money this year. So quick devil's advocate on Ture before we transition to linebackers. Yeah, I, I, I'm skeptical, you're skeptical, but at the same time, Chris Ash is pretty darn honest and had no problem ripping into Ture multiple times last year publicly. He's done nothing but put him over. We're talking about, Chris Ash is talking about Ture like he's the next Hulk Hogan, uh, like he's the next... I don't know, name a real athlete that has talent. I don't follow sports. Prime Dome. Sure. Uh, Suarez. Is that a guy? We don't like him. Okay, what about... He left Liverpool. What about uh, David Villa? We like him, right? Eh. All right. So my point is that Chris Ash has done a complete 180 in talking about him, and that was earned. How do you know about David Villa? Uh, someone was wearing his jersey at SummerSlam last but, week. But how did you know it was David? Because it has the full name on the back. Okay. You know how to read? <laughs> I even know it's Villa and not Villa. My point is that Chris Ash made a complete 180 in talking about him, and that was earned by Ture, but he's got to stay healthy. So, linebacker-wise, this is where we, this is where we got the most... It, well, you do know that his brother's being recruited by Rutgers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but... Just wanted to make sure. So was Tanner McAvoy. Linebacker-wise... Look, people did not like our linebacker discussion last year, and unfortunately it's going to be pretty much the same Best forward, folks. Yeah. Here's the advantage is that you have some freshmen that are going to get there eventually. None of them are there yet. My my biggest disappointment in training camp was the – I thought one or two of those freshmen would splash faster than they have. Tyshawn Fogg's been limited a bit with injuries, but he's been the most successful of the freshman linebackers. Onyechi's more of a defensive end right now in the scheme. Saeem Simmons has had some injury problems as well. Fadukasi can run very well, but hasn't put it together. And Brendan Navarra's getting time with the twos. But again, we're talking about a guy that they just moved from fullback. I, my biggest disappointment is that none of those guys were able to push the starters yet because, sure, Deontay Roberts and Trevor Morris have playing experience. It's not good playing experience. You want them to be pushed. And the strong side linebacker, which is supposed to be the center of the Chris Ash defense, look at look at Deron Lee at Ohio State or whoever, well, we're talking about a converted running back grad transfer, and we're talking about Eric Margolis. And that is not, that is not ideal from a playmaking standpoint. That you're disappointed shocks me because we're ta- you're talking about true freshmen that you want in six weeks, five weeks, to come in and push for a starting job. If nothing tells you more, anything else about the Rutgers linebacker situation, 
is that you expect, or I should say expect, that you, that, that you think it's necessary to have true freshmen come in and push a starter who's been there for a number of years, not a, not a kid who started as a true freshman and is now a sophomore. One of them's a team captain, by the way. <laughs> that that you want them to co- tell you everything you need to know about the linebackers. And me, because everyone knows that I'm a big Saeem Simmons fan, and I really well, think that Tyshawn Fogg is going to be a special player. Well, I, I do too, and, and that's why I rated him with four stars. But the fact of the matter is, freshman linebackers, to come in and want them to push early is unrealistic. But Rutgers needs them to because the linebacker recruiting, well, all recruiting, but linebacker in particular, was so bad that you need them to do it because they don't have enough guys who can play. And so what's going to happen is a couple of these freshmen are going to be forced in. Olakunle Fadakazi should have should redshirt, but they don't have that luxury. Correct. He's gonna they play. do not have that luxury. When I watched him play during the season, you could see his athleticism has changed the direction, but... He really needed to learn how to play linebacker. And he needs a year to, you know, not reshape his body, but just kind of fine-tune it, learn how to play the position. He's not going to have that luxury. I look at even, I love Tyshawn Fogg, but, you know, being able to play in the middle in college is tough and physical, and he's a big, thick kid. Here we are, you know, he's getting some, you know, he's going to have a chance to play a lot this year. That's good for 2018, like I talked about, and building for that. But it's bad because you don't have depth. And you're going to hear people complain, oh, how is this possible? How is that possible? How is this possible? I, I think the best way to put it is because the former coach ruined the program. So offensive coordinator, we like to say, is kind of a cursed position at Rutgers. I, I do the whole defense against the dark arts bit. But I would say the same thing about strong side line. Where did Sorting Hat put Jerry Kill? Uh, Gryffindor. Oh, yeah, nice. he's brave. I'm Gryffindor. He's brave. He's outspoken. He, he's a good guy. So get, I'll, I'll go. Give Gryffindor. me one who was in Hufflepuff. Art Forced. He wasn't a coordinator. Oh, you want a coordinator? Yeah, in Hufflepuff? we're talking quarter coordinator. Oh, I just thought you meant anyone. Oh, um, good I would... call on Art Forced. <laughs> good call. Hufflepuff coordinator. Uh, Ben McDaniel's. He might be Slytherin. Um. Anyway, strong side linebacker is a similar curse because as important as that position is in the defense, Rutgers has never found a guy, and every time they're close, something goes wrong. Uh, Najee Clayton shows some promise in spring and then punches out. You have a walk-on Greg Jones. Punches out means leave. Punches out, yes. Because when we're talking about... Like his punch card, not the other kind of punch. After that, you have Tyreek Williams starts to show real promise... And then, boom, ACL. Ronnie James, they really thought he could be a good player in that. Concussions, career's over. Then, now you're left with Ross Douglas, who came to Michigan to play running back. Then he played corner. Then he played safety. Now he's playing linebacker. And you have Eric Margolis, who was a borderline walk-on candidate going into signing day his senior year out of New York. That's just, that's rough. So... Well, that's rough. I guess we're going to wrap it up. There isn't too much to say about the secondary because it's it's all the same guys. I think, Brian, I think we agree we, we like those guys for the most part. There's some good players back there. The fact that the only real competition right now is for the fourth cornerback spot, which doesn't even play. They will. I mean, 
is pretty established. They'll play, but not not at, a lot at corner. You're going to see a lot of you're going to see a lot of Tank Lopez and also maybe Tim Barrow on special teams. But I th- yeah, I think when you look at the cornerback situation, you're solid with Austin and Wharton and Hayes. Three good cornerbacks. Yes. Um, probably have to replace Austin after this year from everything I hear from the NFL. Safety, Saquon Hampton. Yeah, good player. Solid, got to yeah, stay healthy. You know, then, then you look at, you know, I, I know you and I spoke during the scrimmage about Zane Campbell and I was watching him. And That's your kid. guy. Well, if if he was a, a freshman or sophomore, you'd be like, oh my goodness. He was everywhere. He was in the right spot all the time. Didn't always make the play, but he, he was clearly knows what he's doing out there. If you had to get him in for, you know, short spurts, I think I don't think he'd kill you. Najee Jones behind him, you know, again, freshman. And then the other ones, Kai Hester and KJ Gray, I think that's uh, some good depth there. Not great depth. You know, once you get past Hayes, Wharton, and Austin, it could be a little more difficult. Your guy Kobe Marfo is there too. Um, I'm curious to see more of him and, and see how he's matured as a player. And then you look at, you know, like I said, after Hampton, whether it's Campbell or Jones, then, then, you know, there's nobody. The way I look at it is, on this roster still, there's in the secondary I'm talking about, there's nobody where you sit there and go, Oh man, when he play you know, he's gonna push this upperclassman for a job. I don't see that. And you need to get there. If you look at the roster and it's been year it takes years to come back from this stuff, you gotta remember they lost six defensive backs in one training camp to getting kicked off the team. Six. It's a lot. It takes a long time to recover from that. Um, but, they, you know, look, if Rutgers can keep their starting 22 healthy, which will not happen and cannot happen, would never happen. Nowhere, not just Rutgers. No, I, I, think, I think with them, with those 22, I could make an argument they can push for a six-win team. I can make that argument. The depth will kill them again. It's the other 63 you got to worry about. Yeah, it'll kill them. Welcome into the Rutgers ScoutCast mailbag for the week, and we didn't get a lot of mail. We got some repeat questions this week, and the off-topic stuff was, I mean, I, I know I like to get obscure, but when we're talking the details of Conair and Lost, that's a little too obscure, so Brian came up with his own questions this week. Brian's a big fan of the podcast, so Brian wrote in. Uh, Brian, you want to read your questions? I will read my question. The first one, Sam, is going to be off-topic. Okay. Big fight this weekend. Conor McGregor, <laughs> Floyd Mayweather. I know um, you're going to be locked into it. You're going to have something to do probably in the afternoon that day that people on the site could be excited about. We'll see if they are or not. Yes, sir. You are a big WWE fan. Yes, sir. You are a big NBA fan. Yes, sir. Why are you looking forward to this fight? That's the first question. Sam, why are you looking forward to this fight? Because it's not going to be a real fight. It's going to be entertainment. Because we all know Floyd's going to win, but it's a matter of how obnoxious and dramatic it is and the spectacle of the thing. It's just going to be fun and stupid, and fun and stupid are my favorite things in this world. Is that why we get along so well? Sure. Sure. (laughs) I'm going to be out at a high school scrimmage or game. At midnight? Um, by the time I get home, man, it's going to be in Pennsylvania, so it is a bit of a haul. 
But for me, I know it's a spectacle. I know it's ludicrous. I could not care less about it. Now, so we all understand, it's not, I could care, I could not care less. That's the proper use of that term. I could not care less about this fight. Uh, I think it's a joke. Yes. And as, I, I think it'll be fun to read about after, but not to sit there and watch and pay money for it and devote time to. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pay for it. Wink, <laughs> wink. Um, all right. All right, Brian, go ahead. All right. On topic, on topic, you've covered a lot of teams and games in Rutgers, whether it's soccer, field hockey, from your Targum days to all that stuff. Softball, baby. Softball. It's not often you get to look forward to a season. No, when, it's not. When is the next time Rutgers fans can truly, truly, truly look forward to the football season, knowing that they have a chance to turn the corner? Huh. That's a good question. It's a good question because you know you're putting me in a spot because there's no way I can answer this question without angering people because i got to be honest. Uh, if I'm being honest and you're talking about really turning a corner, how about how about the 2020 season? <laughs> 2020? I like mean, it, it depends on if you, are you, when you say turning a corner. I'm thinking 2006. You know, like it's not turning a corner. Turning a corner is back to respectability. Okay, well, I think Rutgers will play respect. I think Rutgers will play have a respectable product on the field this season. If that's what you're talking about, turning in a corner, showing a respectable product, keeping kids out of trouble, not losing 78 to nothing at home. Well, as far as respectable, maybe the jacuzzi isn't so respectable. But I, I think you're going to see some of that this year. It's not going to. If you're talking about it translating to real wins, then 2018, 2019. If you're talking about the chance to actually have a big season, I think that's still years away. Yeah, for me, I, I think next year is a season to really look at out of 2018, but I think this should be a fun season for Rutgers fans to pay attention and here's why. You're going to start seeing the building blocks. Last year it was try to keep your head above water. You can decide for yourself if they succeeded. But this will be the year you finally get to see some building blocks and some of the kids that will be cornerstones for the next few years their ability to evaluate talent and attract kids and fill holes through the grad transfers. And I, I think they have such an understanding of what they have in their program, good and bad, that you're really going to be able to see some of the identity come out. What do they want to do offensively? Um, what are they trying to do defensively? Can you still be in a game in the third quarter You know, against a big opponent? So, for me, I think they'll start turning the corner in 18, but I think 17 will be a fun watch. It'll, it'll almost be like going back to 04, when in 04, you thought they could get to a ball game. You were, what, three? You, you, you thought they could get to a ball game. It didn't go that way, but you really saw the possibility of it, and then the next year was the year they wound up going to the insight ball. I, I think... For me, that's what I'm looking at. I think what Rutgers fans are going to start to see is they're going to enjoy the star potential. There's been so many years where Rutgers just has not had a star player, the kind of player that the country can get excited about, 
the kind of player that represents your program the right way, both as an interview guy and on the field. We haven't had that for a while covering this team. We're going to get that back sooner rather than later. Whether Jonathan Lewis really does take the step that Rutgers hopes he can take, whether Bo Melton becomes the next impact receiver in the line of Mohamed Sanu and Kenny Britt and, and even Tim Brown... There, there's guys that can be that star again. And no, I'm not talking about Heisman Trophy star, but a guy that the media from every other school when they play Rutgers wants to talk to and talk about. Whereas now I'm doing Q&As with other sites or doing radio spots, and it's, hey, so you know, tell me about Jerry Kill. Jerry Kill is the national quote-unquote star of the team right now, but that's going to change soon where people are going to get excited about seeing individual players and buying the jerseys and stuff. You look at it, and you brought up a good point, so mark that down, that the arrests and all that stuff, the infrastructure is now a lot better. Before you can fix what people can see, you had to fix the stuff they couldn't see. And there was a lot to fix. Again, a long build. And I think you now have a lot of that in place, and it will continue down that path. Uh, I think that's the thing that's exciting is, look, you can go to the game and if they get beat, they get beat. But you don't have to come. But, you know, you're not going to be sitting in your office or at your country club or wherever and have people just look at you and go, Rutgers fan? And they say, yeah. And, you say, yeah. and they just start laughing because of the sheer embarrassment of kids getting in trouble and everything. So I think from that standpoint, at least you'll really start to see a lot of it this year. Well, that's the end of Rutgers ScoutCast 72. Really had a lot of fun doing this episode. I know that the depth chart stuff isn't always the easiest thing to listen to for fans. I know that when uh, whenever I listen to people hammer my Wizards depth chart or something, I know it doesn't always make me feel good. So I appreciate everyone sticking through. I think what I want to point out in closing out this show is that I know we've been pretty critical and come off as negative when we talk about the overall depth of this football team, but we're just trying to be honest. This team went 2-10 and 10 last year, and while better, it's there's still a long way to go. If Rutgers is literally doubles its everything, its production, it's two times better as a program, that's four wins, you know? There's a lot of work to be done, but a lot of work has been done, and I hope people can tell the difference between our honest criticism and then all of the bad Twitter shtick and shots people take when they don't have the guts to ever show their face. We will do some season preview stuff next week on the show. This will drop the morning of the season opener. I know, right? We're a week away from Rutgers football, the war before the shore, a top team coming to Piscataway. Should be a lot of fun. We'll talk about that stuff, but the real season preview, game preview stuff is on scarletreport.com for our members. I'm sure we'll gloss over some things here, but to really get a look at the season, our season predictions and all that stuff, you're going to have to go ahead and try that seven-day free trial I always talk about. A big thank you to Coach Drew Lieberman for being my guest this week. He was pretty great, right? Make sure you tweet Drew or... Make sure you check out his podcast. Let him know he didn't waste his time calling into the show this week. Honestly, he's a guy I've been I've been following his career. We're about the same age, and I've been following his career for 
five years or so now, four years, but we didn't ever talk until a couple weeks ago because of the way that Coach Flood ran his staff. Coaches didn't do interviews unless it was Ralph Friesian gloating after the win over Maryland, and believe me, he deserved to gloat. He called a heck of a game. You didn't really talk to assistant coaches, and you never talked to graduate assistants unless they were named Mike Teal or Scott Vallone because they're former players. So it's been fun getting to know Drew. I, I highly recommend everyone check out his podcast, The Sideline Hustle, with Gary Nova and with a lot of other Rutgers dudes. Even if you're not a big podcast guy, you know, you, you listen to this because you're on Scarlet Report and it shows up on the homepage and it's something that you do to pass the time at work or at home. Just check them out for 10 minutes. I mean, it, it's literally, if you're listening to this, you're two clicks away, whether it's you go over to that search tab on Apple Podcasts or you just click the link in the article to the show. Whatever it is, it's not a big commitment. We're talking about 15-minute, 20-minute episodes they give you a lot of insight into what people at Rutgers go through to make a good football product for the fans. So make sure you check out the Sideline Hustle. I'm sure that we'll be hearing more from that crew. As their show grows, they're on episode three today. We're on episode 72. Hopefully we both hit 100 someday. Until then, I'm the host of the Rutgers Scoutcast, Sam Hellman. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.